And while you remain standing, would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm going to read uh, the entire chapter. This is the word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. 
although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, speak to us from your word, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds to hear and to believe and to rejoice and be thankful, and to bear fruit, because Jesus lives. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may please be seated. Congregation, we... Rejoice today as we are gathered here in the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, age has uh, benefits. It has its pros, but it also has its cons. (laughs) Uh, Growing older, uh, some of the minuses of growing older uh, is that... uh, at least in my generation and older, it's hard for us to keep up with all the new electronic gadgets that are out there. Uh, there's the iPhones and iPods, iPads. I can't keep up with all of these things. Uh, it's hard to, to, to manage them. And as you get older, you know, language changes and certain uh, ways that people speak. Uh, change, and it's hard to, to, to keep track of that. I enjoy, my wife and I enjoy watching The Voice, and uh, there, there are the, uh, the four judges that are judging the, the singers, and sometimes you have a singer that's just outstanding, and every once in a while you'll hear one of the judges say, that was sick. Now, when I say something is sick, I think I mean something entirely different than what those judges are saying. The language has changed. Expressions have changed. But there's also uh, advantages or the pros to getting older. And one of those is that uh, with a longer life and with experience, you get perspective. You see things uh, kind of in the, in the broader view. Uh, you've seen these things happen before. You've uh, learned uh, uh, that uh, some things are, are lasting and, uh, and other things are just temporary and passing. And you're able to better distinguish some of those things uh, as you get older. That's part of wisdom. Uh, and an example to that is precisely what we're we're focusing on today that uh, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When I was growing up, when I was in you know, high school and college days, uh, 
the way that people approached the issue of the historical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ was different than the way people approach it today. And so there's a certain perspective that, you know, that I've had, at least, of having experienced that difference. And when I say the historical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I might use that phrase, historical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, I might use that a few times in the sermon today, I'm meaning that Jesus really did die on the cross, that his body really was laid in a tomb, that his heart was not beating, that his lungs were not taking an air, that Jesus was dead. And when I speak about the historical uh, uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, what I'm meaning by that is precisely what Scripture means, is that that dead body came to life again. 2,000 and some years ago. Jesus rose again, truly. And, and, and that doctrine, that belief, that biblical teaching was recognized, at least earlier in, in history and even earlier in my own history, as something very central to the Christian faith. Vitally central. In fact, in other words, if you believed, and of course not everybody believed it, but if you believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was very likely that you uh, uh, believed in the rest of the Bible and what the Bible teaches and that you counted yourself as a Christian. And if you did not believe in the historical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, well, then you were not a Christian. I mean, it was that foundational, it was that central but today, the, the ground has shifted, and the issue is not so central, and the debate is not so intense. Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. The issue today isn't so much the historical truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The issue is more today, is that helpful to me? Is believing that helpful to me? When I served a church in Michigan, uh, just a few miles away from me was a church called Mars Hill, and the pastor there at that time was Rob Bell. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He was uh, sort of the poster boy for the emergent churches, and uh, that was a large church, uh, Mars Hill uh, there in Granville, Michigan. And uh, he wrote a book called Velvet Elvis. And in that book, he makes this very point. He said, he personally believes in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, but you don't really have to believe that to be a Christian. The ground has shifted. And the reasons for unbelief have shifted. Previously, there was this assumption that the world in which we live, had closed natural laws that are fixed. And that makes the world understandable and manageable. But today, it's different. You see, if we, with those laws, that if we have fixed laws, 
closed natural laws. Those laws do not allow for somebody to rise from the dead. In other words, if somebody did rise from the dead, that required some miraculous thing, something that was supernatural. But today it's different. Today we're dealing with I-laws. Like iPhones and iPads, we're dealing with I-laws. Truth for me is what I find acceptable, what I find helpful. Do I care about it is the issue. Do I find that that idea is helpful to me? Do I believe that that thought or that idea helps me flourish as a human being? And if the answer is no, then I don't need to bother with it. You see, that's how the ground has shifted today. The issue is not whether Christ actually rose. The issue is, is that teaching useful to me? And that's our culture, brothers and sisters. It's woven throughout uh, all of our television shows and advertising, movies, education. It's all throughout. And so the issue, the issue is, is it important? Does it matter? Did it happen? And today what I want to focus on are those who bore witness. To think about the witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to get us there, obviously in John chapter 20, John records for us Mary Magdalene going to the empty tomb. And then he, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He and Peter running to the tomb. And, and then the other disciples witnessed the resurrected Jesus in the upper room. So all of this, uh, we're, 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 we're going to see these witnesses. But first of all, I want us to think a moment about uh, Paul and what Paul says. And this will help us uh, get to what I want to bring out today. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is uh, at the Areopagus and he He says, the time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul is preaching to philosophy lovers on Mars Hill in Athens, 20 years after the death of Jesus. And the hearers mocked Paul. People don't rise from the dead. Notice that passage, it says, God calls the whole world to repent because we've all sinned against him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Repentance is urgent, brothers and sisters. God is going to judge the world in perfect righteousness. And the judge is Jesus. Jesus is the judge. Jesus will be the judge of every human being someday. Every human will stand before the living God-man, Jesus Christ, and there will be no excuses. We will will be found guilty unless 
we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. But the point is, if you're one who thinks that that doesn't matter, that the resurrection, it's, it doesn't matter, it's, it's, it's just a useless doctrine. The fact, actually, that Jesus was raised from the dead means that it will matter to you. <laughs> you might not sense that today, you might not feel that today, and it might not fit within your own eye laws, but it will matter to you whether you find it helpful or not. This Jesus, he rose and he is going to sit on that throne of judgment. That's the reality. And God made sure that we would know that by raising Jesus from the dead. This is what Paul is saying in this passage. God has given assurance, that is, he's given warrant, he's given evidence, he's given proof to all by raising Jesus from the dead. In other words, the Father raised the Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead bodily to be a worldwide, global warrant that repentance is necessary. This is actually one of the reasons why we take time earlier in our worship service to bow in repentance and confession of sin. But how can we know that? How can we know that God raised Jesus from the dead? We did, you know, and at that time, in, in, you know, in God's perfect timing and in his providence, when the fullness of time had come, he sent Christ into this world to be the Savior. There were no cameras. There were no recording electronic devices. No photographs. No videos. How are we then to know that Jesus really did rise from the dead? The answer is God has provided witnesses. God has provided witnesses. Those who actually saw Jesus and who wrote it down. Jesus appeared to witnesses in enough settings that they were fully convinced of his reality and could tell others and then write it down for you and me to read. They were convinced. And you know, we know that at least the disciples, but many others, like Stephen, were martyred for that belief. <laughs> Think about that. Chuck Colson said that that's what uh, really makes him believe in the resurrection, the fact, that very fact, that, uh, that Jesus' followers and those who witnessed Jesus afterward gave their life for that truth. He said he was involved in Watergate, and he said after three hours, we, people were confessing, <laughs> you know, the, 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 they were not willing to give their life for a lie. Uh, nobody is willing to give their life for a lie, but these witnesses gave their lives because Jesus rose from the dead. Or think about Peter in Acts chapter 10, 
uh, in Acts chapter 10. In fact, turn that, to that passage with me. Uh, Acts chapter 10, this is, uh, Peter is at the house of Cornelius, and then he has this uh, great vision where God is receiving uh, Gentiles into the church, and this is eight or ten years uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter then uh, uh, preaches the good news. And at verse 40 of Acts 10, he says, But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. You see how the, the, the disciples and how Paul saw that, that, that connection. Jesus was raised from the dead and he will be the judge. And we're witnesses, Peter says. God never intended, in other words, for the risen Christ to be seen by everyone. Uh, we know that there were, you know... The, Ancient civilizations in China and, and India that were flourishing at that time and uh, other peoples around the world, uh, uh, th those that we may call Native Americans were uh, prob probably existing in, in the United, what we know as the United States at that time. And Jesus didn't visibly appear to them. That was never God's purpose. That was never God's intent. But there were some to whom Jesus did appear. Peter was one of them. John was one of them. The disciples. He, re, he appeared repeatedly and with many proofs to a limited group of people whose job it was to bear witness. And so we have in Matthew 28, Matthew's eyewitness account for us. You and I have his eyewitness account. Mark. In uh, Mark chapter 16, we have his eyewitness testimony. Luke, in Luke 24, he, he tells us that he did research, and in uh, Luke 24, he was not an eyewitness, but he, he, he talked to many people who were eyewitnesses. And John, here in John chapter 20, was an, he gives us an eyewitness account. And so let's, uh, let's think about that. For a moment in, uh, in John here, this passage. In the previous chapter, verse 35, uh, uh, yeah, verse 35 of chapter 19, he says, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. That's John saying, I've seen these things. I've witnessed these things. I know they're the truth. And I am bearing witness to you that they are the truth so that you would believe. So the, just that we know that that's what John is doing. And then in that last passage, we, uh, the last verse we read in chapter 20, Jesus did many other things, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Uh, this is what John's purpose is. The point is that an eyewitness is telling us the story. This isn't hearsay. So in the first couple of verses of chapter 20, 
Mary is up early in the morning, Mary Magdalene, and she goes to the tomb. The stone has been removed away. She looks in and there's no body. This was the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. There's no body in there. And she uh, then runs to uh, Simon Peter and John. He, she finds them. What does she say? They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. I think that's very significant. And that John includes that. She went to the tomb. She ran to John and Peter, and she said, they've taken him. She didn't say, he rose from the dead. She said, they've taken him. She thought that the spiritual leaders or the Romans, one of the two, probably came in and removed the body of Jesus. Because she understood that we live in this world that has natural fixed laws and dead bodies don't rise again. She understood that. And so she wasn't expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. You see, these, were not, these witnesses that we have were not easily excitable, gullible people. They're people like you and me who understand what, how this world works. And people don't typically rise from the dead. And then we read in verses 3 to 11 that Peter and John, uh, they hear what Mary has to say and they run to the tomb. And again, what an interesting thing, isn't it? How John tells us the story. How, you know, John was probably younger than Peter at this point, uh, and he got there quicker. They ran, and apparently John was uh, the quicker runner, and he got to the tomb uh, before Peter did. This, is just, this just sounds like history, doesn't it? It just sounds like something happened. He's telling us about something that actually happened. And he looked into the tomb, and Peter comes following him, and Peter does more than just looking at the tomb. Peter just goes right on in, and he looks and sees, you know, the, the cloths there. It has a ring of, of, of truth to it, doesn't it? This, this sounds like something that, yeah, could most certainly happen. And what does John want us to learn about the resurrection from this? Well, I think at least two things. The first thing is what I've been making the point all along is that is that Jesus res resurrected bodily, not just spiritually. You know, some speak about the resurrection as like a symbol of Jesus' ongoing influence in the world. And that's all it is. Or they speak about the resurrection as... Uh, the spirit of Jesus that is alive in the world. But that's not John's point. That isn't John's point, actually, at all. John's point is, the body was not there. That's John's point. That that body has risen. In fact, one of the most striking and stubborn historical uh, facts is that Jesus' enemies could never produce the body. 
They could have put a stop immediately, ended the whole thing, if they could have produced the body of Jesus. The fact is, Jesus rose bodily. And John is driving home that point. He even talks later in his uh, letters about how him we handled. He talks about we touched him after the resurrection. But another thing he's making, I think, wanting us to see is that this resurrected body of Jesus is like the body that died, but not exactly. It's like the body that died, but not exactly. There's continuity with the pre-crucifixion Jesus, and there's discontinuity. And I think that's John's point about, you know, the linen clause. He seems to make a point about having the linen clause there, lying there. I think he's showing there that there's a difference between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Because you might recall in the resurrection of Lazarus, when Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes out, and what does then Jesus say? Unbind him. And let him go. You see, so Lazarus also had these linen cloths wrapped around him. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus, you see, had a mortal body. A body that would die again. But not Jesus. And I I think what what John here is, is driving home is that Jesus' body was a bit different because it passed through the grave claws. In the same way that he was able to pass through locked doors later that night. That there was something different about the body of Jesus. And the fact that Mary didn't quite recognize him immediately. There's something different. And yet... There is continuity and sameness. It's the same physical body such that he tells Thomas later in the chapter, go ahead and touch, Thomas. I have a physical body that you can touch, that you can recognize. Luke tells us that Jesus ate with the disciples following his resurrection. So there, there, there's continuity and discontinuity. And how that, how that is, I don't know. But, you know, Paul so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about that, that the mortal shall put on immortality. The mortal will put on immortality. That's what's going to happen uh, to us. And that's why it matters. That's why this matters today to all people. Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee of the resurrection of all of his people, of all who believe in him, of all those who belong to Jesus. Christ saves us, not only our souls, but also our bodies. When God created Adam and and Eve and humanity, he he said, it is good. It is very good. And our bodies and our spirits will be raised again. Our bodies will be raised again to join with our spirits for all eternity. We will have a risen, 
resurrected, glorified body like Jesus's. There will be continuity, discontinuity. Paul says in Philippians 3, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That is what will happen when God judges the world by the man, Jesus Christ. So John tells us he ran to the tomb with Peter. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. Believed what? Believed what? That's, a, you know, that's an important question. He saw and believed. Believed that Jesus will have a continuing influence through, throughout history? No. He saw and believed that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what he believed. You know, if we think that it's just some kind of an influence, a continuing influence, this Easter Sunday, that, that Christ's resurrection really just means that he has influence in the world today. If that's what we, th we, we think, what do we really believe? What are we, be what are we basing that on? What do we really believe? And the reality is, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, I mean, literally, bodily, historically, our faith is in vain. That means it's empty. <laughs> There's nothing. There's nothing. So when John says he saw and believed, what he is saying is he believed in the resurrection. And that is who a Christian is. One who believed that Jesus died for our sins and bodily, historically rose again from the dead. If you don't believe that, you are outside of Christianity. I, I think we just need to be very clear. If you don't believe that, you are outside of what Christianity is. We believe that Christ lives, not just as an influence, but that he, with his body, ascended and is at the right hand of the Father, and he, with his body, is going to return again, the end of this world. That he really rose again. So that Mary, in, interesting, I love this, in, in John chapter 20, Mary begins saying, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. As we get toward the end of this chapter, she says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Her witness now, we have to take into account. The witness of Mary. We have her witness. Do you see? Do you believe? See, Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, I'm glad, you know, I'm here, and I'm glad that you're seeing and you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Jesus is talking about me and you. He's talking about all those who throughout history, after his ascension into heaven, are believing. Why? Because we are believing the witness accounts 
that God has given, that God intended for us to believe. We don't have videos of Jesus walking on this earth. We don't have photographs. We have eyewitnesses who said, I have seen the Lord. Do you see? Do you believe? God's brought you here this morning to hear this message. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and to hear his witnesses. And my prayer this morning and now as we close is that you will now by God's grace say, yes, I see and believe. Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for giving us these eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Jesus lives. And because he lives, we live and will for all eternity. To you, O Lord, be the praise and the honor and the glory and the power, both now and forevermore. Amen.